Okay, thanks very much, Hugh. So great to be here again, preaching on this uh, wonderful passage. I'm not sure I've ever preached on it before, but Acts is fantastic, isn't it? And uh, I'm really enjoying our new series. You can see uh, how it's been displayed there, Building Our Community. And if you've missed the first two, what we're really doing is going back to the early church. The church recorded in those early uh, books of Acts, a church that was thriving, a church that was growing, that was having a real impact on its community and having a fantastic time. What I hope we all want St. Paul's to be like, and it's certainly what God wants for us. So each week during this term, we're looking at a different characteristic of that early church. The first was their devotion to God, you can see that there, and to each other. The second was their prayerfulness. And today we're looking at a characteristic that really builds on those first two, their expectancy. An expectancy that was not disappointed, for they expected God to do great things, and he certainly did. So my focus today is unpacking why. What was it about the early church that meant they experienced these things so often? Signs, wonders, miracles, and many people coming to faith. And what if we copy them, can we expect in our church? So this is a crucial sermon For it's about moving from just going through the motions, shredding water, to real fruitfulness, real growth, being filled with the Spirit, and being in awe of what God is doing. For is that what we want? Absolutely, it must be. That's what we're here for, revival. That's what we're called to. So let's pray now that God would make us expectant and use this sermon to to do his will in us. Father, we just commit this time to you. We thank you that you gave us this role model church in the book of Acts. You told us so much about them so that we could really live and breathe their lives. Think about the pattern of their week. Think about how they felt about each other. What was really important to them. What really drove them and fired them up. And so, Father, would you, through them, make us expectant today through your spirit inspiring us bringing this word alive in jesus name we pray amen so first then let's get a bit of context about what's happened so far in acts in chapter one jesus is taken up into heaven in chapter two we have the day of pentecost and peter's first sermon with three thousand conversions that day in chapter three peter heals the lame beggar and that's a That's footage from a film there where that's one of the scenes, what it might have looked like. This beggar clearly was known throughout Jerusalem, for he'd always sat in the same place. Everyone's favourite entrance to the temple courts, the gate known as Beautiful. So they all recognised him, they all knew him, and they all knew he'd been lame from birth. And so no one was in any doubt that a miracle had occurred, and it was pretty dramatic, Acts 3 verse 7 tells us Peter took him by the right hand, helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, um, began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw this, they were filled with wonder and amazement. Can you picture that scene there, what it must have been like? Although I have to say the reason for their amazement, according to verses 20 to 21, may not be what we were expecting. It tells us all the people were praising God for what happened, 
for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Which makes me think that the age profile of the, old, the early church may not be identical to the present Church of England. Most Anglican congregations are amazed to find someone under 40 in the church, let alone being healed. I jest, but there's a small amount of truth in that. But clearly, God can heal any age. I'm not over it, past it, which is good to know. And Peter made the most of his captive audience, whatever they were amazed by. He took the opportunity to preach to these astonished onlookers, sharing the good news of Jesus, of which this miracle was a confirmatory sign. Important to realize that, a confirmatory sign. Just as Jesus' own miracles were as well. And what did those signs do? Their function was to tell the people who witnessed them, you need to listen to this man. Whether it was Jesus himself, or in this case, Peter and John. That's why we have signs. So people know they need to listen They need to listen to the gospel, the good news about Jesus, so they can have eternal life. And what Peter actually had to say to the crowd at this point was both a shocking indictment of the people and also the most wonderful news. And you're half expecting them to storm off halfway through it before he gets on to the good bit, but they don't because they're obviously feeling convicted. And he said this, they had handed him over to be killed disowned him before Pilate, but God had raised him from the dead, and that by faith in the name of Jesus, this lame beggar had been completely healed. But as we all know, in a busy busy public place, think Covent Garden or Trafalgar Square, as in the temple courts in Jerusalem, a crowd draws a crowd. It was a touristy sort of place even then, especially around the festivals. And so the beginning of chapter 4 tells us that the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were still speaking because they saw all the people gathered around there, not gathered around one of the usual rabbis. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail overnight. But we're told many who heard their message believed it, even on that day. And it was clear from the authorities' point of view, already just a few days after the day of Pentecost, that it was out of control. The numbers were enormous, the response incredible. It was just like with Jesus, just those few weeks and months ago. There were now over 5,000 believers. So the next day, the religious leaders gathered with the high priest and his family. They brought Peter and John before them and they asked, By what power or what name did you do this? Which is where our reading came in. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, explained that it was by faith in the name of Jesus Christ that this man had been healed And then stated the essential truth that we should never ever waver from and should never fail to make clear that the stone the religious authorities had rejected, Jesus, had become the foundational stone on which the new people of God would be built. That includes us. We're being built into that new people of God. And what is the foundation? The cornerstone, 
that salvation is found in no one. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So there can be no compromise. Jesus is the only way to salvation, to being made right with God, the way, the truth, and the life, as he put it. And so if we want to see God show up in power here, as I know so many of us do, we have to be willing to state that. Declare that Jesus is the only way. And then know that if we assert his authority, his name, his power, and pray in faith, God will do amazing things. That's why Jesus said, whatever you do in my name, I will do. It might be healings, it might be prophetic words, it might be other manifestations of the Spirit. But what it will certainly be is people experiencing the Holy Spirit in some way that draws them to faith. An encounter with him that confirms the thing that the whole world desperately wants to know. That there is a God. That he loves us. Every one of us. He cares deeply about us. And he wants to draw us into relationship with him. Whatever we might have done and said in the past, we can be forgiven. And it's a free gift given to us by Jesus. And so these remarkable things that God does from time to time, these miracles always have a purpose of drawing those who are open to God closer to him and to receiving that freedom through Jesus, that forgiveness through him, that purpose for living and the reality of the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. That's why the miracles happen. So if you want to see miracles in your life and in your church, the number one thing you've got to do is be committed to sharing your faith, seeing Jesus proclaimed, praying for boldness. And then believing in faith that God will honour that with all the confirmatory signs that we need. And yet here's the danger. Here's the challenge that we face. Verses 16 to 17. I was really struck by those words. It's why I kept them in the reading. It said this. It's the religious leaders talking to each other. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign. And we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. So that's what they commanded them to do. To never again speak about Jesus. And isn't that exactly the situation we're in today? Not because of legal statute yet, although in many countries, of course, it is forbidden. But in many situations, it's not acceptable anymore. It's against the etiquette of the workplace. Political correctness is a challenge. And that cultural pressure that says you can't claim there's only one way to God. Or that there is any such thing as absolute truth recorded for us in Scripture. Or that there is any absolute truth at all. That's the postmodern viewpoint. But of course, that is an absolute truth in itself. 
Yet here's the thing. This shouldn't discourage us. It's simply the spiritual battle we should expect. Just as that brand new church in Acts expected when Peter and John got back and shared what had happened. Verse 23, they responded like this. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Because they knew that prophecy was still being fulfilled in their time and it's still being fulfilled in ours. For the God of this age, Satan, is doing absolutely everything he can to stop people hearing the wonderful news about Jesus because he's real and he succeeds in his evil plans if we respond to the cultural pressure we face in 21st century Britain by remaining silent, by keeping our faith private rather than being open, rather than being willing to share what Jesus has done in our lives. And by being unwilling to share that we seek to obey Jesus in the way that we live, and by being unwilling to share that he rose from the dead, and that really is eternal life and a relationship with our created God available to us all. And we can communicate that simply by talking about the relationship that we have and all that it's brought. And we need to be willing to, to tell people that we honestly believe that is what they truly need and deep down desire themselves as well. Indeed, we must pray that God would give us too the courage and the boldness and the opportunities to do these things, just as that early church then prayed. They said, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So we need to pray for courage, for God to do whatever miracles it is he wants to do to confirm that he is real to those who are open to him on our front lines in the places where our relationships with not yet Christians are found. Courage, it's the key thing, it's tied to expectation. And it was that same sort of courage in Peter and John combined with their orderliness, their lack of education that actually so impressed the high priest and the teachers of the law, wasn't it? They said, because of their courage and that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. And isn't that encouraging? Because I expect most of us feel ordinary. There's nothing special about us. But that's actually an asset if it's combined with courage. Because the people we end up witnessing to think there's no way they would have had the guts to do that unless they wholeheartedly believed in what they were saying. For if people, seeing being, if people see us being brave enough to be open about our faith, open about our relationship with God, well, some of them will take note that we've been with Jesus too. They'll know that he must be real. We must have a relationship with him. For why else would we put our head above the parapet? Why else would we dare to be different? Why else would we choose to stand, to stand out? Why else would we choose to do any of those other six M's that we're looking at 
in our life groups this term. All ways in which we communicate the reality of God being at work in our lives and our desire to live in obedience to him and to advance his kingdom. To communicate through actions what Peter and John communicated through words when they said in verse 19, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. And I love the verse that follows. I really do. And I would love it if every one of us could say this. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. That we cannot help it. That has to be what we should pray for ourselves. So that it just becomes so natural. It's just bubbling out of us. We don't have to, you know, sort of psych ourselves up. We're simply so grateful for all that Jesus has given us and rescued us from. We're so conscious of his love. We're so conscious of the reality of separation from God and, and the horrors that that brings. That we cannot help but share that sort and that light with anyone that we get the chance to. And we can say too, actually, that we have experienced God speaking to us through the words of Scripture, through conviction or guidance of the Spirit, through preaching, through the loving actions of other Christians, through prayer ministry, and in so many other ways. We know, don't we? We've experienced them. And people will listen to that. They want to hear about our experiences. Many will. And are they all miracles? They are. Of course they are. And I'd like to think that we've also experienced him in the way that the early church experienced him at the end of the reading as well. Verse 31. They prayed for boldness. They prayed for God to heal, to bring other signs of his uh, presence and his, his power. And this was what really happened. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And let's just acknowledge that that actually has happened here, hasn't it? Several times in recent months. I don't know if the building was literally shaken, but we certainly sense the Spirit's presence. Why? Because God was confirming what we were resolving to do In those services, God was saying, this is the truth. Live by it. Share it. Orientate your whole life around it. Be bold. Be brave. Engage in that battle. And know that your spirit, is my spirit is with you. So that you will have everything you need. So I want to bring us back now, finally, to this issue of expectation, because that's been our main focus today. The early church was expecting, and we should be expecting too. But what does that actually mean? Well, let's start with what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean expecting life to be easy. For was it easy for the early church? Absolutely not. Peter and John had just been chucked into prison, and that happened numerous times. Many lost their lives. And at various points, all the early Christians were persecuted. And in no way was growing and sharing the good news of Jesus easy for them. And they didn't expect it to be either. Neither should we, for Jesus said not just to them, but to all subsequent generations, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow 
me. For the road to fruitful living is never easy. There will always be opposition because the devil is real and the hard-heartedness of many people in our communities, our families, our workplaces, our friendship groups, our schools, our universities are real. Many people don't want to face up to the reality of God. If only they realized his love for them, maybe they would, they would see differently. But as it is, they want to push back because they don't want to think about it. They try to convince themselves that he's not real by having a go at us. We should expect that and not take it as a discouraging sign, but as an encouraging one. Because it's a sign that we're threatening Satan's kingdom, that our faith is visible and that he is worried. So he's trying to oppose us because what he wants is us to be silent, inactive, not engaging in the battle, not praying for miracles with the very lowest of expectations about the difference that we and our church can make. So we shouldn't expect it to be easy. But what should we expect other than opposition? Well, I think we should expect that there are certain prayers that God will always answer yes. And I think they are generally the prayers that the early church prayed, written up for us in Acts or in the other New Testament letters. We've seen some of them in our passage today. First, there was this. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I firmly believe God will always answer that prayer. He will always give us boldness. So here's my first challenge. Are you asking for it? Do you ask God for boldness? Or would you rather not have it? But if we care even just the tiniest little bit about the reality of judgment, of hell, of Jesus being the only way to salvation, well then we absolutely must ask for it. Because if we don't ask for it, nothing's going to happen. We're not part of what God is doing and longing to do in this place. And particularly outside this place. And then there's this prayer. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, I firmly believe God will answer that prayer too, especially if we broaden our definition of what those signs and wonders are. Now, don't get me wrong. I do believe in healings and lots of other sorts of physical miracles. But there are many other signs and wonders too. People becoming Christians is a miracle. Prophetic words are, speaking in tongues is, God incidences are, you know those chance conversations or chance events, which we then subsequently become aware had a higher purpose, that God was behind it, there was more going on. And of course, many remarkable answers to prayer, like just those we heard read from Jane a little bit earlier. These are all signs and wonders because they all point to the reality of a creator God intervening in our lives and in the world. Something that so many people don't realize is happening. So are we praying for these miracles? For I sometimes feel churches fail to pray for a miracle because they can't think of one that they need. Well, with the news about Paul this morning, we've certainly got the need of one now. And I call on this whole church of all 250 or 300 of us to pray continuously with expectancy until we know that God's will has been done for Paul. And I call on those with prophetic gifts in this church 
to listen for him continuously again until we know that God's will has been done. Read the parable of the persistent widow. It's God's word to us on this. We absolutely have to do it. Not just a few of us. The whole church. When we're faced with an injustice. When we're faced with something that is so obviously not right. We must take a stand. But not in our human strength. In God's strength. And we do it together. Let me finish then with the final implicit prayer at the end of our passage. Which of course was, please God, fill us with your spirit. For That's certainly what he did for that early church. And I firmly believe too that that's a prayer he will always answer affirmatively for us too. Why? Because God desperately wants to keep us being filled with the Spirit. So we would have the power and the passion and the motivation to live for him. To make a difference. To point people to him. So are we expectant? We need to be filled. We need to be filled so we notice the opportunities to bless others and to witness to them. That are actually around us every day. Being filled means that our antennae are up. And we can see what's going on. And he gives us the right words to say, the right spiritual insight, the right, if you like, expression of love, the sensitivity, the timeliness, the wisdom. So, we need to pray We need to meet with God. We need to be filled with his spirit. So what we're going to do now, I'm just going to invite the band just to come up. And I'm just going to read some prophetic words that we received before the service. So these words are the result of people with prophetic gifts inviting God to Encourage people to respond to prayers for healing here with words of encouragement that may speak into an individual's or more than an individual's life. So the first one is, is there anyone suffering from mental illness? Well, this is a, this is a Sunday where we would love to pray for you. Huge numbers of us from time to time in our lives are in that situation. If you feel that you're in danger of it or that is you, receive prayer this morning. Another had a picture of a candle burning in the calm. The flame was perfectly still. The wind picked up and it reached hurricane force, but the flame was still alive. The wind calmed and the flame again burned and was still. The storm will pass, but Jesus is Lord of the storm. Are you going through a storm right now? That word speaks to you, perhaps. Another verse that they felt led to write down. Not by power, not by might, but by my word, says the Lord. Is there a situation you're in where it's through God's word that his will will be done? 